Good morning, everyone. We are um, here to start our annual service award ceremony, and this is one of my favorite events each year that we do to recognize and celebrate the employees who have been with us for a long time, who have made a commitment to this agency and who have contributed so much to what we do and to the well-being of this department and the entire um, county. So um, we're going to go ahead and uh, announce the names and give out awards, and then we'll do the usual photo op with a picture with uh, staff. Again, we actually have awards for the folks who have five, 10, and 15 years of service with the department, with the commission. Um, but we also have a group of folks who have even more years of service, 25 years and 30 years of service. And we will announce their names, but they received their awards at the September commission-wide luncheon. So we don't have awards for them. They've They've already been recognized. We're going to recognize them again. <laughs> um, Casey, did you want to say a few words as well? Um, everything that Gwen said is, is true about the value of uh, employees who've been here for a while and uh, have that long-term commitment to the, to the work. And that's true of every workplace. Uh, every workplace benefits from people who have institutional memory and uh, remember uh, what mistakes were made in the past, so hopefully you don't repeat them, and also to maintain the long-term commitment to the, to the mission and to some of the ideas that play out over not just a, a year or two years or a, a commissioner's term, for example, or even a planning director's tenure, but over the course of a career. 
and I was having breakfast with uh, Amy Presley just a few minutes ago, and we were talking about the, su the success of this agency and the general plan, and basically executing uh, over 50 years a coherent vision of land use in the county. And that was a reminder that uh, in this line of work in particular, it's important for us to have people who have been around for a while and understand what the long-term idea is that aren't just thinking about what's going on uh, right here and now, but are taking the long view. So that's uh, just another reason why it's especially important and why we uh, always remember uh, the importance and value of, of our folks. And we're lucky to have a lot of really great people here who've decided that it makes sense for them to commit a big chunk of their lives uh, to making this place work. So thank you. Great, so I think what we'll do first is we'll call up each individual in the five and 10 year and 15 year category, and then maybe we'll call up the folks as a group in the 25 and 30 year category and have a, a group photo op with that, uh, with that latter group. So um, the first person is David Ansbacher, who is five years <laughs> into the commission. Okay, the next is Roberto Duke, who has only been with Park and Planning in Montgomery County for a short time, about a year, under a year, but has been with the commission a long time in Prince George's County. So, and your gift. Next, Rose Krasnow. I feel like Rose has been here forever, but it's only been 10 years. I'm sure it feels like for him. <laughs> Thank you, Gwen. Oh, wait, you want your picture? <laughs> Next is Carolyn Pugh, who again feels like she's been here forever, but 10 years. Next is, it says um, Lorraine Shirley, but we know her otherwise. Lori Shirley. Next is Anjali Sood, who I know is on vacation. But uh, Anjali's been with us for 10 years, has been doing a great job as uh, our budget manager. And then the next is 15 years with Mary Beth O'Quinn. Is Mary Beth here? Nope. Well, we will get her award to her. <laughs> so the next thing I'd like to do is ask the folks on the 25 and 30 year list to come up and we'll do sort of a group picture. Barbara O'Donnell for 30 years. Um, Janice Tarkini for 25. Sheila Sampson for 30. Eric Gray for 30. 
Yetta McDaniel for 25. Pamela Zorich for 25. Scott Stickerod for 25. Kathy Riley for 25. Margaret Rifkin for 25 years. Fred Boyd for 25 years. And the two Freds. Okay. And Rich Weaver for 25 years. Um, and as you can see from this group, this is a lot of the brain trust of people who do great work in this department. We thank you. Also, I want to mention that there is a little breakfast reception for all of our um, recipients of the service awards and uh, their division chiefs. So if you got an award, you also get a little bit of free breakfast and some treats. So up in the third floor conference room. We'll try to take one more picture in the hall and then, then eat.
We're ready to start with the consent agenda. If I get a, a motion on the resolution for Meadow Lane. Second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Uh, motion carries. The uh, record plat for towns at Potomac Highlands. Second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. And the minutes from January 8th. Second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Whenever Mr. Riley is ready, we'll have the Parks Director's report. Uh, good morning, board members. Mike Riley here with my biweekly uh, Park Director's report. I'm going to start out today um, telling you a little bit about what we did on, uh, for the Martin Luther King Jr. National Day of Service. Given the holiday was uh, uh, this past Monday, uh, we uh, coordinated uh, 15 stream cleanups and four Weed Warrior events over the weekend through our volunteer service office. They do a tremendous job uh, partnering with a lot of our uh, friends and advocacy groups like the uh, Friends of Cabin John Creek, the Little Falls Watershed Alliance, uh, Eyes of Paint Branch, the Rock Creek Conservancy, and the Friends of Sligo Creek to uh, plan and promote these stream cleanups. We get a lot of volunteers to come out. Uh, the students get, uh, can get SSL credits. Uh, so if you know any kids who are behind on their uh, SSL credits, point them to the uh, Parks Department volunteer website. Um, we uh, removed an estimated uh, 7,100 pounds of trash and 4,200 pounds of recyclable materials from eight parks uh, with over 200 volunteers participating. So these don't just happen, uh, you know, uh, once a year. They happen periodically, Earth Day, other times throughout the season. And uh, it's a great way to get volunteers out in our park, uh, help out the environment, and, of course, uh, uh, given that it was the MLK Day of Service, teach uh, kids about the benefits of volunteering for the general good of the community. So all in all, a very positive event. Um, more good news, we have filled uh, our division chief position of public affairs and community partnerships. That was the job formerly held by Kate Stuckey. So those of you who worked with her knew we had big shoes to fill. Uh, I think we have a great candidate. I will bring her next time and introduce her personally to you. But she just started uh, Tuesday. Her name is Christy Williams. She comes to us from... Uh, the uh, uh, Park and Recreation Commission for the Parish of East Baton Rouge in uh, Louisiana. Uh, so she has both park and recreation experience and a uh, marketing and media relations background. She um, is an accredited public relations professional and she, um, when her most recent job, she was the communications director of that park district uh, she managed the marketing and communication functions of their park system with a $67 million annual budget, 184 parks, so a little less than half the size of us. Um, she managed a $1.5 million marketing budget and a 14-member team. And what will be most helpful right away is she worked very hard on their branding effort for their park system, so we'll throw her right into our... Uh, team that's working on the branding effort for the commission. So I think she's highly qualified. Uh, she has already moved to uh, Maryland, and I will bring her and introduce her to you uh, next report. 
I hope you'll tell her she shouldn't take it personally if everybody refers to her as the new Kate Stuckey for I, about I, for the next couple of years. Just yes. she's going to have to get used to that. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, la uh, last week, last Thursday, I testified at the county council on what's called the pesticide bill uh, that was brought before you for a position. Uh, the room was packed, standing room only. Uh, speakers generally, I think there were 39 speakers, and they generally alternated between um, people who supported the bill and were concerned about the human health effects and effects to the environment of pesticides uh, to people uh, who uh, testified about the uh, business, the impact of their businesses, or of course with us, the potential impact to athletic fields. There is a second public hearing on the uh, 12th of February, and then I think they have put off the first committee meeting all the way into March. Uh, the uh, head of the T&E committee, um, Roger Berliner, opened the session by telling the audience that the council intended to be very deliberative about this bill and take its time because of the technical nature of it. So I think the council will proceed uh, cautiously, but uh, that obviously has uh, strong uh, sentiment on uh, both sides for and against the bill. Do you remember when the bill was actually introduced? It was it after November or before or what? I will have to get the, I, I don't know offhand what the date of introduction was. I was just wondering if it was introduced. It was? Uh, somewhat similarly, uh, on uh, January 29th, uh, the council is going to consider a resolution regarding artificial turf. Um, it, it's primarily about uh, encouraging the use of alternative infills to crumb rubber. Um, we have actually been studying um, all the different products that are uh, out there and um, uh, recently the uh, four of our council members, four of our Montgomery County Council members visited the new artificial turf field the city of Gaithersburg uh, built in a park called Lakelands. And it uses an organic infill product that is um, made of uh, uh, a cork, uh, coconut, uh, uh, husk and rice husk, I believe I've got that right. Um, and it's very attractive to uh, folks who believe that the recycled tires still, uh, there's still concerns that the recycled tires may be harmful to the environment, may be harmful to uh, people. Uh, our past conclusions were that it was safe, but um, I've been working with the council staff who are drafting this resolution to um, um, generally support the idea going forward that we would try these organic products. Um, they do have an indisputable benefit in that they do not reflect heat, absorb and reflect heat as much as the crumb rubber. Um, and obviously the other uh, benefit that will be perceived by some is that because they're organic and not man-made materials that there's no concern about safety. So while I did not bring a specific recommendation or position to the board, um, since this is a, a council re uh, resolution, I'm, I've been going down the road of working with the council staff to craft the resolution in a way that we could support it. I, is there any information in terms of cost? 
There is a cost delta. We're reporting that the co in, uh, incremental cost for the infill component could be 10 to 20 percent greater than the recycled tire product. Yes, and it's, there's not just one alternative out right. there. There's multiple manufacturers yeah. that have different uh, variations of the blend of, mm -hmm. of the organic material, and there's generally sand in it. But what we found out is these products, while they're not been used in the U.S. Uh, much until mm -hmm. recently, they've been used in Europe extensively for soccer for the better part of a decade. So it appears the performance is there. But the upfront cost is a little bit higher, and the maintenance cost may be a little, yeah, bit, a little bit higher higher. as well. Life cycle is about the same way. Maybe. Life cycle, yes. You do have to add, just like the crumb rubber, you do yeah. have to periodically add more material. Mm -hmm. And the main thing about it is that you have to groom it to make sure that right. the... Oh. Mm -hmm. Now, the organic material, they recommend that you put what's called a shock pad under it, which is where the, the predominance of the increased cost comes. One of the benefits of that is even if the material gets a little bit compacted, mm -hmm. you still have the shock pad underneath okay. that okay. is protecting uh, for concussions. Injuries, yeah. Or yeah. Um, does there have to be legislation to deal with this? I mean, can't it, they just say the Parks Department, why don't you guys research this to find the best product and be done with it? I mean, it's, it's a resolution. It, well, it's, it's a resolution. Maybe Carol can help with the difference between a council resolution and a bill, but... Um, th they actually are doing this right before they are acting on a CIP project for MCPS that includes uh, synthetic turf. It's, uh, it's Winston Churchill High School. And um, I, I think what they're doing, the, the, the MCPS project comes up right after their resolution. So I think what they're doing is they're indicating their preference for the alternative to crumb rubber and then they're going to be looking for the Ed Board of Education staff to confirm what they intend to use on this field before they approve the Board of Education's budget for the field. So it's more than just parks. It's, it's us. It, it's Soccerplex. It's any, uh, anybody who would be putting in synthetic turf in the future. But I think the thing that has swayed me to be generally supportive is, is the heat issue. It's just there's no question that those uh, black crumb rubber pellets get extremely hot in the summer. And although we put up the warning signs, um, you, you know. The heat issue we're talking about is the political heat. No. No, no I, I actually, I play soccer, and I have played in, in, in those fields, and it's just terrible. Honestly, it's just bad. Especially when you're, you have little kids doing it too. If it's bad for me, imagine little kids. So yeah, but I'm I, glad. I, I, would, I would think that the council could just say, we don't want to use that stuff anymore, find an alternative, and that could be the end of it. But apparently, it doesn't work that way. This has been going on for Yeah. So I will keep you posted on that issue. Uh, this, uh, let's see, Wednesday, January 28th, there is a Park Foundation board meeting. They meet bi-monthly. Uh, I will be reporting that we have received uh, uh, applications for the Park Foundation Executive Director. Uh, I haven't reviewed them yet, but we're going to move forward on um, uh, structuring an interview panel involving park staff and the Foundation Board and uh, moving ahead to fill the uh, new Executive Director of the Foundation. 
Uh, I wanted to update you on a specific project uh, that came before the board uh, several years ago. Uh, we have an agreement with the coalition for the Capitol Crescent Trail to build a uh, plaza along the trail, uh, kind of a rest area for users, a little park. It is uh, just north of the, um, where the Capitol Crescent Trail crosses River Road along the approach to that bridge. And the agreement we have with them calls for them to design the plaza, uh, to raise money to build it, and to build it uh, under our uh, supervision and guidance. Um, it came to my attention over the last few months that the project was uh, kind of uh, off track a little bit, so I met with the coalition yesterday uh, with my staff, and uh, I think we've got it back on track, and we're going to help them move forward because we still have a common goal to see that plaza built. Uh, we're going to hook them up with the Park Foundation for their fundraising. That had not been in the cards to date, but uh, the foundation is agreeable to um, assist them with their, their fundraising effort, and I think that's going to help. Um, is, is that in the Westbourne area? Yes. Is, is that, so, okay, because when we, that's the same bridge you probably weren't here. When we're talking about Westmarn, they showed that bridge. That's the same area that you're talking about. It, it's it's the bridge that literally carries yeah. the Capitol Crescent Trail so. right over river near Little Falls Parkway. Yes. So I, th I think we had a great meeting, and, and I just in case you heard anything about that particular project, I, I want you to know I'm I'm on top of it, and I think we've got it back on track. Um, the the uh, county executive on January 15th released his recommendation on the CIP. Um, as you recall, the CIP now is, happens every two years. This year is what they call the off year uh, for the, the uh, capital improvements program. But still, every year the county executive on January 15th can submit amendments uh, to it. So for us, it's kind of good news and bad news. We only had one project uh, impacted. The major vast majority of our CIP was left intact. The one project that was impacted was the uh, construction of the Little Bennett Park day use area. He moved it back two years uh, from beginning in FY17 to FY19, and we're going to come before you uh, in a few weeks uh, to um, uh, recommend your uh, a position for you to adopt on that. Uh, so you'll get, you'll get more detail about that um, uh, when we come to you. And then lastly, I had talked to uh, Commissioner Anderson. Uh, it's been a while ago, but I talked to him about having a spring parks tour for the planning board. Okay. Okay. Mitra just clarified that that bill, that pesticide bill, was introduced on October 21st. Yeah. Mitra just clarified the pesticide bill was introduced on October 21st. So I had talked to uh, Commissioner Anderson about a spring parks tour for the planning board. Uh, I'd be very excited to do that, to take a Thursday, uh, given that your schedules um, seem to uh, be able to accommodate that as we look forward into the spring. There's some, uh, some time, and I thought we would take an entire day, uh, put the entire board on a bus, and take you to parks that um, not, not just to impress you with the system and show you the the uh, best of the parks, but to get you actually out into parks that you will likely have some uh, something brought before you on in the next year or two, a facility plan, 
perhaps a controversial issue. Um, and, and that way, when we bring those items before you, you will have seen the place. Uh, so I'm envisioning uh, late April or the month of May. Uh, I'll pick a date soon and hopefully make sure that you're all available that day. Get you on a bus at 9 o'clock, feed you lunch somewhere out in the parks, and get you back here by we, of 4. Of course, there would be a picnic. There would have to be a picnic. Uh, yeah, we have lots of great places to have lunch. That won't be a problem. So stay tuned on that. That's it for my report. That'll take a while. That, yeah. It, that's one of the, the good things about the parks is you could spend a lot of time living in this county and not be able to go to every park, even if you spent all your free time. We, uh, in the past, have given the council tours, and they always, you know, they tell us they'll give us three hours. And how it's always so stressful for us because how can we show anybody the tip of the iceberg of our system in three hours, but we do our best. Great, thank you very much. Do we have uh, a co-location team? Val? Hi there. Good morning. Whatever you're ready. Okay, we're, we are ready. Uh, good morning, uh, Baldus Lasdens, Chief of uh, Research and Special Projects, and uh, Nick Holtzcombe, uh, who is our GIS specialist, and Nick has been assisting with this project, and hopefully if things move forward with the next phase, he will also be assisting with that. Well, um, this morning we're here to talk about co-location. And co-location is really an important topic here. Uh, as you, you all know, budgets are tight, and uh, departments and agencies are looking at how best to efficiently deliver services um, to uh, residents and to do that in a way that's cost-effective. 
And so we have been looking at this topic um, over the last year or so, and this is a, a genesis of um, a previous effort um, that was spearheaded by an interagency group that looked at how should um, parks and schools share their facilities, and it was precipitated by um, a, uh, a, a goal to develop a park site for schools. So this interagency group was begun. Um, Commissioner Wells Harley was on that committee, and one of the recommendations out of that committee was to uh, look at developing a white paper. What, is, what are the practices out there uh, in other uh, agencies, in other jurisdictions? How are they handling co-location? So um, a as a way to begin to address that question, uh, we hired uh, Bolin Smart, who is here before you, uh, Eric Smart and Pam Dubois, to look at what is the state of the art for co-location. So with that, um, they have a presentation um, the report itself was delivered to you, and hopefully you've all had a chance to look at it. And then uh, after their presentation, um, there's an opportunity for some discussion on that. And at that time, I'd like to invite um, representatives from the Parks Department to perhaps participate in that conversation. So with that, um, Eric and Pam. Good morning. Thank you. Yes, um, I'd like to start to say one of the reasons we were hired, we've done a variety of work for the um, Planning Commission, but um, Bold Smart also has done a lot of work with facilities, strategic planning, and the likes for over the years for a range of clients. So um, it's a little different than some of the land use kind of studies that I've spoken to before of, but it writes one, it writes, uh, right down the alley of an adjunct uh, portion of our business. Co-location white paper. I won't try and figure out what white paper means, but I'll try and talk to co-location. The, the uh, definitional aspects of it are, are, uh, are uh, going to be a lot, of, a lot of part of our introductory remarks. The background Val had uh, identified that um, looking at future opportunities and challenges and, and the kind of steps, stage setting for, uh, for a much more detailed study. The dialogue that took place uh, it was sponsored by, by, by your folks, um, but in the course of, course of the work, we principally engaged with parks and schools uh, as dominant users uh, of, of the concept. And there are many past initiatives which uh, have served as the building blocks to, to today's, uh, to this white paper, and as you may decide to go forward. So what is co-location? Um, a lot of municipalities around the country don't know what that means. I, they don't know what it means. It's a, uh, it, it ends up to be kind of whatever you end up including <laughs> in, uh, in, in your purposing of, of, of facility needs. But the one that, uh, that I will quote from that came to, to sort of be consistent, uh, the locating of two or more organizations sharing some significant aspect of physical space on a regular basis. So it's not just coming into the entryway and then going your separate ways uh, beyond a lobby. Uh, it, 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 it encompasses facility con concept design through annual budgeting. Um, so it's more than, more than just perhaps sharing some aspect of a building. The expanded definition uh, which uh, we were encouraged to look at in terms of, of going beyond uh, a municipal agency 
um, perspective, uh, just added here in quotes, to include broader public interests, and uh, that can include any bundle of, of, of public things, for example, affordable housing, nonprofit groups, community benefits. And we've, uh, we've looked at examples of both of those um, dimensions, if you will. It's also known uh, as other things, co-location, adjacencies, uh, joint use, shared use, should have hyphens there, doesn't, mixed use, public-private partnerships. There's all kinds of things that it can be bundled together to incorporate, but for now, um, um, and there seems to be a, 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 a reasonable legacy, if I could call it that, in Montgomery County to, to, to use co-location as the, as the term, and certainly that's what we focused on in the white paper. So why now? Uh, high land costs or no land available. Um, and, and again, when I'm saying co-location, I'm saying primarily driven by agency requirements and service provision to their community, to their, to, to, to the mission, uh, and then supplemental elements that could include public interest. Aged and obsolete facilities, of course, that, uh, that pertains to many of the suburban uh, facilities that, that the county has been maintaining. Demographic changes uh, impacting service needs, reduction, duplication of services, that's on the operational side. One-stop access, certainly from a customer, we'll call it a customer, uh, a, a, a client basis. Uh, cost issues, long-term asset management. I, so we mentioned here best practices because there's, there's been a lot of experience. Um, you know, we have learned things over the past 50 years of, of how to approach the delivery of services, the, the looking after of facilities, and the ability to um, integrate some of these functions in, in, a, in a real estate context. And that's what institutional experience can mean, too. Um, evolving concepts, community planning, all these things flow together. There's sort of the physical readiness and economic need and an institutional environment or platform to be able to push the concept forward. And then maybe beginning and always in, in, at the end, finite financial resources, uh, which are uh, uh, kind of like a, uh, they bring together a lot of, uh, a lot of disparate interests. Compatibility factors. Now, the presumption here, uh, I, perhaps some of you had a chance to at least, or perhaps not even go there, to glance at the white paper. There's a lot of stuff in there, and I didn't, we didn't attempt to try and explain the matrices and all that. But to highlight some of the uh, compatibility factors that, that, you know, primate to all this, of course, is the ability for agency uh, uh, services to be delivered, the mission. And uh, I don't think I have to elaborate on that, that that's number one and number, number everything from the standpoint of getting agency collaboration. And uh, highlight a little bit here, it, it, we, 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 we're in a planning horizon to look at the next few years, I say we collectively, but uh, agencies have to have their eye on life cycle sustainability, and we're not, I'm not talking environmental issues here, we're talking the ability for the agency to deliver its services in a new environment 40 years from now. So those are very legitimate cautions uh, from, from, the, from the standpoint of today's program requirements is one thing, but you know, how are we going to correlate all that uh, on a shared basis 40 years from now? Shared features, they're, uh, this is kind of how we structured the, 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 the work we did. Shared features, um, I think they speak for themselves in terms of some of the physical elements. And then the process, the funding, the, the sort of the people-to-people -people part 
um, I, everyone we spoke with said that you can kind of get your arms around the physical features, you can agree or not agree, but uh, when you move into the, the, the budgeting and the, the, the people that are, that are there and, the, and their different reporting requirements, that's where things uh, get the most complicated. And they impact planning, of course, uh, different capital sources and how you share cost savings, uh, the executive functions, and even the and, and, and details of facility management. So the compatibility factors that we've, we've uh, illustrated in the matrices of, of various forms in the report uh, attempt to show where there's kind of stronger correlations to neutral correlations to maybe difficult correlations, not by virtue of any, you know, discord between people, but just uh, com sort of measuring against these criteria. Val had said that a major part of the initiative for, for this report was to look at, uh, at case studies or examples, precedents elsewhere. And it's not just uh, best practices because um, in all the communities, and I kind of joked a little bit at the beginning, we would call up, we, we looked at uh, in the Washington region, the, the governmental agencies were, were doing this and were trying to do this as well as uh, on a broader scale nationally and to some extent internationally. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not kidding, we would, we, would, we would call up, Pam would call up and say, well, let's talk co-location. They'd say, what? Uh, and so there is, what we've, we've taken from this um, is that, that not only is we can get past the definitional issue, but uh, it's, it's an innovation. And in innovation, people have different approaches. And so when we were looking at the, at, at the case studies, it's, there's no, there are some best practices, a lot of unique characteristics that have to be respected. I think these would be obvious as you, as you engage with your, your own stakeholders um, to, to figure out what criteria to follow. But we also wanted to look at, uh, uh, I guess we had to look at some of the things that weren't so successful because, because this is a sort of stop, start, try again and see how it, how it proceeds. Um, uh, there's, there's at least a dozen case studies we looked at in, in a lot of detail. It's included in the report and a whole bunch of other ones that are referenced in the appendices. And, um, and I, I point out that they, we looked at physical facilities, we looked at process, and then kind of in the category of the non-traditional, we looked at, uh, we'll just term mixed use because mixed use, as I'm saying the term, is where you, when you combine the, the stricter municipal functions with, with these other things that may have different dimensions of private um, engagement. The limitations probably speak for themselves too that uh, almost all these circumstances are unique. Um, you have, you Montgomery County has had a lot of experience with, with co-location and each one of those has been unique. So um, that's probably a very important premise to, to always start from and understand different legal parameters and financing requirements, I mean, that's layered. Even within Montgomery County, you probably have a hard time figuring, keeping track of all the, all the, all the authority structures and, and, and account, accounting uh, procedures that have to be followed. So we don't mean to be glib about et cetera, et cetera, et cetera but, but there is a lot of et ceteras. I'm just gonna just quickly show four examples. And the worst, what's really uh, kind of, uh, was a great grounding for us, and certainly I think we, we will carry your initiatives here in the county, is all the examples within the county. And very prominently is the, the uh, service park um, up at the airport, 
which was driven, you know, there's drivers to this. It was driven uh, by smart growth initiatives, use of the properties around Shady Grove, aging facilities, the need to figure out a way to finance what the, what the, the agency needs were going forward. So it's a superb, I mean, if someone's doing a white paper on co-location in another jurisdiction, they're going to call you and, 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 and want to understand how this project proceeded. Uh, Loudoun County process example, big label we have at the top here, and I don't expect you to follow what that means there. But what we, what we, uh, why, why we've highlighted this is that it it, rep it, it represents a a, a, um, a decision making structure uh, that that grew up over the past ten years, and you can see it has the sort of flow of 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 decision making steps, and. It seems to have been successful in terms of being a, um, a management tool. And clearly, I think one of the things to highlight that is that it, at some point, there needs to be a policy. I mean, you're, you're, you're embarking perhaps on the policy, and then the administrative uh, components uh, are involved and, and fall into place uh, after the policy is, 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 is legislated. This is an interesting facility in Saskatchewan very ambitious facility. It sort of falls in that category where there is uh, successes and, 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 and lesser successes. This was a project that uh, was initiated in 10 years ago. Uh, it was probably well before that. It had all the ingredients of, of uh, service needs. By the way, it includes a high school, library, offices, rec center. I mean, it's like everything. It's, it's the whole enchilada. Um, it was in a neighborhood which had uh, had uh, a real diversity of, of social service needs, so it made a, it was very appealing, made a lot of sense uh, in terms of planning. But uh, so they got a lot of people on board to do this. It was very exciting. Uh, physical issues could be worked through, but then it ran into 2008 up there, same as same as down here, and so it's got back up um, um, to speed and the parties have come back together. So we thought not only is it a very interesting example of just being ambitious, uh, and ambitious itself didn't, didn't kill the thing, um, and then it, it faced, and here's one of these things, and I'll, get to, I'll just I'll, I'll brush over it from later, but that uh, one of the features of co-location is it's, a, it's ability for it, multiple agencies to get, get budgeting going um, on a priority basis because you're kind of consolidating uh, uh, the, the budget pitch. Uh, so that's one good thing, but the, but the awkward thing for the agency is it can't be sure of being able to get that facility and that service capability in place. So these kind of projects are really ambitious, can streamline some things, but on, on an agency level uh, they can be very risky because maybe that facility that they were counting on that was going to be part of this kind of complex doesn't get completed. This is in the category of the Arlington Middle Community Center, um, and there's lots of these, uh, lots of examples of these, but uh, nearby, which accommodates on the left side there uh, a, a, an apartment building that features affordable housing, and on the right-hand side, a community center. And it's got a very interesting history because of the ownership that was, uh, it was a county-owned site, went through a planning process. So we've got others uh, of, that are, are included in there, and hopefully, for those who get involved in uh, anything you may initiate further, that, uh, that those are, are, are provide some insights. 
So what, uh, what were the sort of key findings in, in looking at these case studies and talking extensively with folks doing this without uh, documenting it in a case study? Physical features and process. We've discussed before, or we referenced before, that, that, uh, that, that those, those bundle together some very different characteristics. Don't mean to minimize the importance of physical facilities, but it's relatively easy to, to get your arms around what, what choices are. Uh, and within that context of the planning is the ongoing need to anticipate operational issues and what I mentioned before of the what-ifs in terms of the long-term planning. Process, so what, what, what really helps this happen? The uh, universally, there had to be something to drive it. I mean, it, it's a nice idea, but unless there's a desperate, I'll say maybe not desperate, but, but, but in a, a pressing need for, for a facility, uh, it's harder to get it off the ground. The opportunities, I, I kind of inferred this before, but the agency can get on board uh, with these kinds of things because you know, it's getting on the, on, on the bandwagon, really, um, in terms of expedited um, execution. It may be just, not just budget, but the whole process, uh, economies of scale in terms of the, the planning effort. Give and take. Now, this is, this is a, a really big one in that, that when the agencies are, are sort of jostling for, for, uh, for, for what they're going to do, uh, everybody has to have some skin in the game. I mean, you can use whatever cliche you want, but um, it doesn't, it, 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 it's, it's awkward if there's not kind of a balanced approach to who, who gets benefits and who has to, has to trade off some things. Executive level commitment, that's probably self-evident, but uh, uh, it, it, the, the issue there is that it needs to be continuous. It can't just kind of be at the front end and say, well, go off and, and do this, because it, there's a lot of pieces that have to drop together. Uh, CIP funding, that's another uh, tool, and where we're in more vertically integrated funding environments that it works more successfully, uh, but it's not that it can't work successfully if there's more disparate funding, but, but it, that's kind of like a part of the reporting structure to, to get the, the pieces together. Staff level interagency relationships, the county here has uh, some pretty strong ones. Um, and it gets all these elements in terms of process. If any one of them is missing, it's a good chance probably that it won't get there. So it's, 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 a, it's a comprehensive um, bundle of, of, of tools. Clear administrative lead, that's a little different than, than executive commitment. That's you know, who's going to make sure everybody comes to the meetings and that kind of stuff to, 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 to plan it and then it is burdensome to make sure that the, 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 the agreements that are, that are set up at the front are reviewed every year, that kind of stuff, administrative lead. And uh, neighborhood level support. The, the, uh, it keep coming across to us that that is an you know, additional important sensitive area of, of, of where, where it comes together because the administrative, the bundle of agencies can, uh, can all do a great job, but it, a lot of the engagement comes from where the community sees the advantage. The Montgomery County context. The, uh, we did quite oh, a before bit you of leave that, Before you leave that last slide, um, this allowance for long-term what-ifs as missions evolve. <laughs> I was talking to uh, an architect recently who was telling me that uh, his business has changed in the last couple of years to being almost exclusively looking at retrofits of office buildings in D.C. because all these uh, owners of office buildings 
have uh, problems uh, leasing their space, and so they're hiring architects to look at the building and say, well, could we turn this into residential? And a lot of times the floor plate is too deep for a resident to turn it into like an apartment building or a condo. And I was thinking about some of these spaces like old schools or rec centers or the Silver Spring Library, the old Silver Spring Library, for example. I'm thinking about do we, is there a way we should be thinking about the uh, architecture and the physical layout of some of these structures to maximize their flexibility over time. So, you know, and like that thing that you showed us in Saskatchewan, like what if, you know, today the recreation department wants a piece of that and says, yeah, we'll take this space, we, here's how we think we would program it. But then 10 years from now they decide this isn't in the right place, doesn't meet our needs, and maybe the school system wants to expand the school, they'd have more school capacity <coughs> needs there, or, or the library needs more space or less space. How is there, did you look at all at how you can, issues arising from the need to maintain the flexibility of the space and the, uh, you know, program of requirements that's being fed in is not so specific that you can't adapt to something else if that, if you need to, use this giant piece of infrastructure in a different way than when you originally built it? Uh, the answer is yes, and it, you bring up, if I could expand on it a bit, that, that, that is, that is uh, um, the, it's a critical issue really. Uh, we've, there's some of the case, case examples where, where the, the program requirements within a very short period of time were evolving. So yes and yes in terms of the answer. Um, I, I, I'm going to take the opportunity to say as, a, as primarily a, a try to be a real estate economist uh, is that, that we should be building boxes that function for lots of purposes. And, you know, we've looked at some of these case studies which are very specialized. And uh, you can see why they got there because it was, it was a way to get everybody on board. Yeah, they got exactly what they wanted. In the, in the snapshot of that time, but very compromised in terms of being able to, 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 in, to, to renovate. So um, I, certainly, I think that, that if we haven't highlighted it in, the, in our white paper, it needs to be constantly hit home that at some point, if all things given equal, you gotta choose a generic design so that you're not encumbering the future flexibility of, of the given spaces. Anything else? Yeah, I think one of the important things is, you know, was apparent on one of the previous slides, the, the executive commitment to this. This is something that I think is really tough to just dip your toe in the water. Um, there has to be a long-term commitment for um, co-locating public facilities, and I think absolutely the flexibility is a, is a key criterion because program requirements may change given demographic shifts where, you know, you're looking at daycare facilities and 30 years later now uh, you're looking at senior facilities in the same neighborhood. So how these are designed, I think, I think you hit an important point home that they have to be done in a manner that provides flexibility. So the concept of creating as much of a white box as possible for these, I think is important. Yeah, it was striking uh, when we were looking at designation of some of our uh, park activity buildings for uh, historic purposes that some of these buildings, it's very hard to repurpose them and now they're not even really suitable for the 
the intended purpose, that the way that people use parks or recreational facilities actually has changed over time. So even if you've got the same agency doing basically the same thing, that their uh, real estate program may be totally different than it was, and they may be stuck with buildings that are very uh, hard to, it's hard to figure out what to do with them. And I know that's been true of some of these other park activity buildings that aren't historic but are sitting in parks and people don't necessarily want to see them go away, but it's hard, it's hard to see how they can economically be maintained and operated. Sure, and then again, you know, shifts in technology change. Uh, I remember the days when, you know, you'd, you'd be flying for business and everybody, you know, departs from the airplane, the first place you go to are all the telephone banks and the uh, terminals. Well, I haven't seen one of those probably in the last 15, 20 years, so how do you repurpose that space? Uh, so, so I think it's, you know, shifts in policy as well as technology that we have to look at here. Um, quick question. Do we have a list of places right now in, in the county where we, when we have the potential of co-locating right now? Well, thanks. Um, one of the things that was a first step, and, and Val probably explained that we originally got into some of this discussion because of um, work with a joint working group between our Parks Department and Montgomery County Public Schools to talk about park and school sites. And so there have been a whole series of conversations um, about that topic. One of the things that was asked was exactly what um, you just raised, and our GIS staff has developed a um, GIS page that lays out essentially all publicly owned land, whether it be owned by schools, MNCPPC, the county government, WSSC, and there's an ability in that GIS layer to sort of focus in very in great detail to really see if it's a site where there are potentials for co-location of other facilities or if there are constraints such as wetlands or forests that make it less viable for co-location. So we do have an interactive tool, much like some of the ones that were demonstrated at the full commission meeting uh, yesterday that our GIS staff has worked on to create a way to look at, you know, what are opportunities that are out there. I have a question. Um, I hope I'm not jumping ahead of your presentation, but when I looked at uh, the, the areas that you cited, I was curious. I didn't see anything referenced Prince George's County, which is our sister county, which um, you know is the other half of us. And there are some very uh, varied examples, particularly with schools, because uh, I know I happen to know that because I did the project. Um, so I was just curious as to why, and I think there are some very good examples there, <clears throat> as well as lessons learned and some of the problems that were as a result of that. And I see you list District Columbia, you know, Howard County, and uh, some other areas in Virginia, but I don't see anything about Prince George's County. Vice uh, Chair, first I want to thank you. We enjoyed conversing with you on this uh, as part of our study. And Most Pam, I've enjoyed too much. You didn't mention it on your face. <laughs> 
should have started with that. But it would be less feisty until she sat next to me. <laughs> the, uh, but but that's not just covering up for um, uh, that. We do have a, an example, and we did uh, we did follow up and had some extensive discussions. So it's um, a very uh, appropriate point, and I think P Pam can fill in on a couple things there. Yeah, the Prince George's has a process by which they build, uh, you know, schools and parks, and they have four kind of prototypes. You know, you add on to an existing school. Uh, you have a park where you add a, a new school next to it. So there's a whole infrastructure set up, and that is an actual case study. We just didn't reference it. This we referenced only four out of about ten that are actually in the report. So there's a whole page uh, dedicated to Prince George's County um, in the report on page 19. Um, but doubling back on what we were discussing earlier, I think for the special purpose uh, co-location projects, it is hard to have architecture that can be repurposed. But I think the multi-service agency park is a great example where they took two similar functions for, you know, industrial maintenance use and they're putting it in one building. It's got different grade issues, but there you probably can repurpose that for other in industrial uses uh, going forward. So I think for the more generic type of space, the industrial being a good example, uh, there might be more opportunity to really design it so that it, uh, it has a, a purpose longer than, than the agency's mission that's occupying the space. Um, I, I was thinking about how to implement this idea and it seems relatively easy from the executive standpoint where he has all the departments working for him. He has an administrative head that can tell everybody we want a list of all the capital facilities you need to, you know, because we do a six-year CIP or some period of time. And then you, you know, he can say, okay, I want these, you to study the co-location of these three facilities because he knows where they are and, and he knows uh, what's coming up. Uh, the problem in our county is that we have at least three different groups that have capital needs, the park school system, park and planning, and the county executives staff. And they don't always know what each one is doing and when they want it. So um, I know in Loudoun County it's all under one, in one place. So the, the head of uh, the chief executive there can pretty much tell everybody, I want this to be a priority and let's do it. I don't, I think that, and we, we are co-locating park and planning and a lot of um, county executive offices in, in an office building in Wheaton. Um, but I could see as the process goes, each of us have our own parochial needs that it's very difficult to compromise or you don't have to compromise because you don't work for the same guy. Um, and it's much easier if everything were under one head. So we got in our building pretty much what we want. They got what they want, but it was not like somebody up there saying, work it out. Uh, so I, that, that's, you know, our cooperation with the school system is only, only works if each of us out, outline what, what our needs are for the next, you know, six or eight years, and then we can, and then we can cooperate. But how the executives, CIP projects, like the fire stations and yeah, Police but stations, you know, how, to, how do you, if I could just how do you do that? Um, if I could just push back on the premise of that question a little bit, I just point out that, um, you know, we're talking about three different entities here. We're talking about the county government, and, and just to the context of the history of this, we do have and have successfully and continue to successfully 
locate recreation facilities like you know rec centers like the one at rosemary hills park uh on parkland mm -hmm. and that is not controversial and i'm not aware that there's any particular amount of conflict in terms of trying to work that out uh the school system is a different story and while it may be true in principle that if one person were in charge of everything, parks, schools, other government functions, in practice, we seem to have been able to work it out with the rec department because everybody just sort of buys into the idea, even though they're in separate agencies, that recreation and parks go together. It's like peanut butter and chocolate, two great tastes, <laughs> one location. It's going to require more than just, I think, uh, uh, you know, it's not just about bureaucratic lines. It's also about getting everybody who is in charge of the mission, whether you happen to work for the same ultimate authority at the top, like we were talking about a minute ago, programmer requirements. Are people willing to be flexible, not just in working with another agency, but to say, if I'm a school, do I insist that I have to have my own parking lot? Do I insist that I'm going to have a particular configuration of ball fields that may or may not be consistent with the parks want? Is classroom space going to be designed in a way that's flexible enough that if someday you decided you didn't need it, you could use it for something else? Or is if you co-located a recreation facility with a school, would you be, have the recreation department space designed in such a way that you could add classrooms? I think it's a little bit, yeah, maybe there is some issue with, you know, butting heads over turf. But I think that, that is, we've shown in working with the Recreation Department that those things are not insurmountable if the individual people in charge of each little piece of this basically accept the idea that they're not going to be able to get done what they need to get done unless they cooperate and, and in this case, well, cooperate I, to the level of actually being in the same physical I, space at the same I, time. I, I, um, I know that we have a very good relationship with the Rec Department and we, without having to go anywhere above any of those organizations, we can solve problems jointly um, and usually do things jointly, present them jointly to the council. But I was thinking, of, let's say White Flint. They, they're trying to get a school. Uh, we have a park. They're trying to get a library. I don't think there's any co, and, and I think they need some uh, kind of bus facility. Uh, I don't think there's any, somebody sitting down, bring, bringing everybody in saying, how do we, find a site that we can all share, because it's very difficult to find a site in that location, um, and, and solve all these uh, public needs. So I, you know, I, I think I there guess, are certain let's, let's cooperative take a, relationships that work really well, and some that are, that are challenging. Um, so I, uh, May I provide some context yeah. that I think would be helpful to the point you're raising? Um, the work group that's been meeting uh, that was basically started by schools, putting schools in parks, uh, had representation of the executive branch, the council, parks planning, and um, MCPS. And to make a very long story short, our primary recommendation was that we should co-locate more public facilities going forward uh, as land becomes more scarce that we should look at all our long-range plans together and answer the question early, where is co-location to our advantage? Um, 
right now, you're right. That happens sporadically and haphazardly. We have some successful co-locations. We can point to a lot of park school sites, a lot of um, community center park sites, but there is no uh, general uh, agreement or uh, policy at the executive branch that we should be coordinating uh, our long-range plans. So, so that this is just the baby step to take what that work group recommended and start asking how do you actually yeah. get this enacted. There was even debate for a year or so about the whether the executive's Department of General Services or Park and Planning should even do this next step. But I just wanted to confirm well, that the, there was, at least at the staff level, uh, combined buy-in that we should be advancing this idea of a form formalizing co-location of public well, facilities. If you had a, a working group like that and there were a, a chair of it um, who didn't necessarily have control over all the par parties, but someone who could convene another meeting and say, okay, we, we've agreed this is a, a, a goal, then three, every quarter or every six months, the group gets together and talks about what's coming up and where, you know, what could possibly be co-located and then somebody, you know, keeps it moving because you, you've sort of had your conference, you've reached a, a conclusion that everybody pretty much agrees with and then that's the end of that. So that's what I was talking about as far as managing the implementation, how do, how do you, keep the momentum of something like this going. And and the problem, and I've seen in other jurisdictions, is not just the ones that normally fit together, it's the ones that don't normally fit together. In, in Alexandria, they built a firehouse with a portable housing on top of it. And those two, you wouldn't think would work. Um, but they're all under one government, so they can sort of make it happen. And uh, like our housing, uh, our housing department does not build housing you know, HOC does and Montgomery Housing Partnership, but so, so try to pull all those pieces together in our system needs somebody to keep moving the ball forward. So that's, that's my only comment. Not that we, we shouldn't do it or, it's, or we're not trying to do it, it's just that it's, it takes a little different effort in and our system. This is exactly yeah. the first step. You know, there have, we advocated strongly for park and planning to take the lead, and the council, who has who weren't mentioned in this group, agreed, and they funded our work in this effort because they think co-location is the wave of the future, given all of the constraints we have on land and economic constraints we have as different branches of county government, and they said this this is important. So, you know, I want to agree with everything Commissioner Dreyfus just said, and we actually are organizing an, a, a re-collected meeting of the working group to report in on some of these ideas. But what we're really working with here with the white paper is to make sure we get the conversation going and going at the, the right level and the right direction and then we actually have funding to continue this effort um, through the end of this fiscal year and probably into the beginning of next fiscal year to start, I hope, looking at some specific 
opportunities. And to, again, in conjunction with the working group, say, okay, if we, we all endorse the idea of co-location, let's start thinking collaboratively together about some opportunities. Yeah, one of the things to me that seems to bring about cooperation is need. And if there's a mutual need, there seems to be more cooperation as there would, people know that they, they, has, they have to get something done, so they're less reluctant to stand on just, I want to protect my peace. And one of the, the uh, things that helped the effort in Prince George's County, which it might solve some of the problem that Commissioner Dreyfus brought up, was that the county council, the chairman of the county council, the county executive, and the chairman of the planning board signed an agreement that said that, you know, this is what we would do. And uh, everybody had to sign off on the project. That when a project came on, you had to you had to jointly sign off on the project. And that's really what, because they had bought into it with such enthusiasm that that was what compelled the other agents to to at least come and sit. You know, in some of the processes, we did not you know we did not actually bring those on board because when it came down for the nuts and bolts, maybe the county the county agency that needed social services needed spaces, they didn't have the money well, they needed at that it time. Now yeah, they needed it now, now, yeah, as opposed to four years, and it takes us to something on the ground. But the idea was that uh, the county uh, came to an agreement, and uh, that might be something that we may need to look at as we move on to our next steps in this project. I, I'd, uh, since, you, since they sort of picked us, I would take the initiative and be in charge. Um, I would just say, you know, you've often, you told us co-locating co is a good idea. We've had our, our presentation. We're, we're setting up the next meeting. We want to hear, you know, make an agenda that says I want everybody's capital projects for the next four years. And, and when you circulate the memo to the executive and the council, they're going to say, yeah, they're doing exactly what we've asked them to do. And, you know, if, they, if nobody else is going to run it, run it. Because otherwise this will be like, and I've been on a lot of these council task forces where you present a report after six months and they say thank you very much, sounds great, and nothing happens. So um, I think you could, you could take the lead with, with our initiative and just until somebody tells you to stop, keep, keep going. Well, I, I actually f think that the schools thing, well, it has been really challenging because they have in the past, at least in the past, had a very specific idea about what they wanted from school facilities. Well, <laughs> not only that, but their program requirements has been rather uh, exhaustively elaborated to the point of being, you know, difficult to figure out how to make it work with anything else, and whether it was a park or anything else. But I think that we're going to make I think that we're at the point with the school system where they understand they have really, uh, that they have to think about things in a, in a new way. But as far as getting the executive branches buy-in, maybe this is if the council were going to uh, approve a new development ombudsman, or if not, maybe a chief administrator, uh, assistant chief administrative officer could be given responsibility for driving this even within the executive branch. Because, like you saw with Clarksburg with the fire station, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a single-use building, and maybe there'll be another bite at that apple because apparently they're going to take another look at that. But I always thought it was 
really surprising that they did not incorporate a regional service center, a library, fire station, all in the same, you know, structure. And when they, by the time it gets us on mandatory referral, it's kind of too late to. Well, that's, that's why I think we should take the initiative. You know, Valdez yeah. can be in charge of, uh, of joint things and push everybody. Why don't we combine all these things until somebody throws them out? You know, just keep going. Right. I, I agree <laughs> with that. I think that we should also be early trying to get the executive branch at the sort of Ike and the second floor level to kind of buy into the idea that they shouldn't just let each one of the executive branch agencies say, oh, I need a fire station, yeah. I need a library, I need a rec center. But the, to say, okay, how, you know, you need to very, at a very early stage of the process figure out where you can combine functions, not just with other agencies outside, but even within the executive branch. Well, I, I, I got to say in the Wheaton office project, which I've been involved with since its inception, to the executive's credit, he had a high-level assistant in those meetings. So if, you know, it wasn't just Al Rashti, mm -hmm. there was somebody who yeah, was with, with the executive. And then when there was a dispute and they knew it was serious, they would bring it up and we'd get it solved. Um, uh, because, you know, each department head, as you said, has their own objective, which is not the biggest picture. So, um, may, you know, I think if this keeps moving, they'll have some top exec executive in, from the executive's office that'll be sitting in on this thing to make sure they don't get they don't get left out. And if it's a good idea, they'll take it over. That's probably what will happen. That would be okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, But anyway, didn't mean to take a big yeah. detour there from where you wanted to go with this. Well, you pretty much covered the rest of the presentation, so we're okay. Um, I want to thank Mr. Riley for being here. Uh, we also spoke with Mr. Wong, uh, Song and the uh, also with DGI, GGS. I didn't mention that before um, as uh, as principal parties that have been involved with a lot of projects. Yeah, I, I think I can I can uh, go more quickly through some points here the, that have just been discussed. Hopefully, and I think that uh, what we've, I've heard anyway, in one way or another, uh, these issues and points are embedded in the in the white paper. Um, for presentation purposes here, we did not include a pretty exhaustive history, which is referenced in the in the, the front end of the white paper of of, of uh, stuff that's occurred in the county before. And I've used different words like the building blocks or what have you. And that's where uh, I think we had, a, we, had a, we had a sentence one time that Val didn't particularly like that said, well, you know, you're already there. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't like it, but he said, you, you, you have defined co-location in a lot of your practices already. Uh, so I wanted just if I get back and I'll try and wrap up our presentation here, but the the um, on this uh, on this particular slide, we you just discussed the issues really that there's there's governance, uh, there's framework, uh, and we do try and highlight there's comparability and not comparability. Um, uh, Commissioner Jape has pointed out that in in many Virginia jurisdictions, there's not as much. It's, let's say it's more vertically integrated than than in Montgomery County. And to be respectful for that, um, that that's just that's your context. But uh, I'm going to go to the bottom third of this particular slide where, where uh, oh, well, legal framework. We did get into it. We didn't do the exhaustive, all the, um, all the bylaws and so forth that guide all the agencies whatsoever. But uh, it appeared from who we spoke with that there were not any, any um, overwhelming barriers that could, that 
that were in the way of if if there's a a, a, a leadership commitment and uh, administrative abilities to, to collaborate that there wasn't something sitting there that meant that you know you couldn't couldn't do this and the prior initiatives was really important uh, as I think for all the parties like with with Mike and, and others who've been involved with this and then when I'll highlight really um, we've talked about examples you can see that and ongoing projects but the interagency work group it's had different names over time but it has been we're referencing here as startups and slow points in interagency coordinating and I don't know Mr. Riley would you say that's fair to say that there's been a lot of, of uh, engagement but as was mentioned by some of you there's a driver and the conditions change a little bit and people get drawn off on the other things so there's a lot of history that's embedded um, in terms of, 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 of uh, understanding what's needed in terms of these kind of techniques and perhaps now at a juncture where uh, it will go to another level is that you agree with the with the, the there is a strong history of this interagency work group functions yeah that, that's fair it, it, but we have the momentum now because we have all the major parties at the table saying it's a good idea so we uh, highlighted some further considerations uh, that I think we've mostly spoke to here. I'll, I'll just pick off on a couple of them. The, we, we continue to, do, to think it's good to, to, to keep the columns of the discussion um, when, when trying to, to get one's, get a handle on all this, uh, that there's policy elements and operation elements and then funding and many other subsets to, to those. And so for further consideration, we have an exhaustive list, a few pages of, 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 uh, uh, of trying to identify where there is, I wouldn't call it strengths and weaknesses, but sort of the status of, of some of the question, mark, question points um, as, as to proceed with more formal co-location policies and then, and then implementation. Um, I want to, with this, with, this, with this group here actually, um, I want to take the opportunity the, uh, the, under the bullet of policy and planning, a holistic approach to community engagement. Um, we found in looking at the case studies that because there are so many pieces that go into the facility, let's say, uh, with many, many stakeholders and uh, advocacy groups, uh, one of the real hurdles was to how to bring all the advocacy groups into a sort of a common voice to some extent. And that's, that's something that get, has got broken down a lot in jurisdictions, and I'll submit kind of like Montgomery County too, where you hear, you hear a lot from some groups and they're, not, they're just pursuing one thing. So it's, it is a challenge with respect to uh, the community side of, the, of, uh, of pursuing co-location to see if there's a way to even get the community to set back a little bit and say, well, we gotta look at, we gotta appreciate that there's a lot of people's interests here. So I think you know what I mean there. Uh, and then um, I want to go to the bottom there, as, as Commissioner Dreyfus had commented under funding, the, um, the alignment of funding sources, a lot of concern, not concern, a lot of recognition that, that that's, that's an issue, not just in terms of the authority structure and the decision making within your principal agencies, but uh, so it's, I'm pointing these here now because they become clear to anyone trying to, to pursue a, a program or a policy or, or, or steps to, for implementation. Possible next steps, we've been talking a lot now of uh, the interagency work group. Um, I believe it's meeting again, I know it's meeting next week again um, as, a, as some follow up. 
and more specifically, I'll defer to uh, Gwen and Val as to how this might go forward specifically, but um, you can see that there's, there's some more formal elements to, to pursue. Um, so thank you. Any uh, questions or comments? Um, I, I'd like to see um, at the, whether we do it or you do it or somebody does an action plan that actually is more practical. These are uh, more paper and I'd rather see, since we got this group, um, you know, get a list and, you know, say park and planning is going to take the lead and we're going to convene the meeting and we're going to do it every six months and, and then we're going to present to the executive and the council the list of potential co-location opportunities and, and get the right, something that, that keeps this moving because I think everybody's in agreement about it. It, it's a good idea. It's been done elsewhere. There are a lot of examples of various kinds of things that can go together. And now, I, th I think we just need to push it along. Well, I think that's the goal of uh, our upcoming meeting uh, on the 27th of January with the interagency group is to provide an overview of, look, here's here's what we found in this white paper. But it's really uh, getting down to the nuts and bolts of... of I, I, I personally have trouble with a co-location policy guideline or some other document rather than sitting around the room and somebody saying, I need a place for 30 buses in White Flint and I need a place for my school buses and I need a library and then somebody sort of putting that together and saying, okay, we got this one site that's this and we don't need that school anymore, so let's see if that's a possibility. It means we got to deal with the neighborhood, we got to deal with the cost, we got to deal with timing. But I, I, I mean, I, I agree, but I think as Commissioner Wells Harley said, you first have to get the buy-in. And I think what we see this white paper as is a document where we can take it to the other agencies and basically say, you know, we've really, we have been working together, but we haven't really been giving a name to it. We've looked at what's happened in other places, and other places are also doing this, and they have some great uh, successes. And we want to formalize or create something where, you know, maybe we do all sign a memorandum of agreement or something saying we're going to work towards this. So I think our goal at this point is to get that agreement, to get everyone saying, you know, this is a good idea, let's commit to it, let's, and commit to the fact that we're sort of taking the, the, the lead on it. And then we have the next step of sitting down and coming up with, let's brainstorm on, you know, 10 projects that might fit into so, this effort. So you're saying if you don't get them to buy into the sort of abstract idea, then when it comes time to talk about specifics, they say, well, oh, that's interesting, but I'm just trying to build my fire station. So if we get them to... Mm -hmm. Actually, if, if you recall, um, I think that that's, there's kind of like been a mini policy designed, or it's, it's actually in the law, that in the, it's in the daycare. In other words, the council passed a law that requires before any public building is is funded or it has to 
consider whether daycare would be an appropriate use in that building. And that's what got us to, in the, in the headquarters building, because the count, if you recall, the county executive was not on board about that, but the council wanted to know whether they had looked at that. So in a sense, that's kind of a entree to a kind of a policy that could be considered because there is one, you know, everybody's under the umbrella of funding and the council is, does the funding. So in other words, when they look at the six year CIP projects, they can ask that if there's a formal policy that the, that the council requires that says, hey, did you look at, you know, here are your projects coming online at about the same time. Have you looked at the possibility of co-location during that planning process? And but one of the so things, that formalizes it in a way yeah. that it comes under one umbrella. And, and it, one of the things about that is that in addition to creating a policy, I think you also have to win hearts and minds because using that daycare as an example, I believe, again, we had our own issues on that, but I have seen several additional um, council items about whether they've studied daycare in other facilities. I've just noticed it They're peripherally. They're doing one for schools, like I think, uh, next week. And yeah. there, are, there aren't a lot where they've been able to jump in and say, yes, we are going to do the daycare. They have done studies where they've sort of said, we've looked at it and it doesn't work. We've looked at it and it doesn't work. What we need to do, well, yes. And so what and I'm sort of saying, if you have a policy, that's good. But we also need to make sure that the folks who are all thinking about this don't just check the box and say, yeah, we've studied it and it doesn't work, but they actually are thinking about how they could make it work. And again, part of this paper is to start that conversation, to not just say, you know, you hereby are told you must get together and talk about these issues, but to actually try to have other agencies in the executive branch think, hey, this is an opportunity, not just another box I have to check. This is an actual opportunity. I, I keep using the example in um, Glenmont of the fact they are, they're building a new fire station in Glenmont and they have land that isn't needed. By they, I mean Department of General Services. They have land that isn't needed for the fire station and they haven't figured out what to do with the land. I know they've had discussions with Parks. Uh, Parks hasn't felt that that's a really great location for a park because it's right at the intersection of Randolph and Georgia, grades separated. But I thought to myself, wouldn't that be a great location for affordable housing where you could actually you know, work with a partner, whether it be Montgomery Housing Partnership or HOC or um, another non-governmental agency and say, let's figure out how to put some affordable housing next to this, you know, walking distance to Metro, next to a pu another public facility in uh, a location that would be perfect for that. And right now, you know, I think that it just doesn't, it, it just doesn't occur to folks. It just isn't in their mindset 
to think about these ideas. And so one of the things we're trying to do in addition to starting, we want to start to come up with some specific um, goals and specific projects, but we're working to try to figure out how to get folks to start putting this in their mindsets. That's what I mean by sort of winning hearts and minds. I think it's all about the long-range planning. It, it just, I mean, when they were planning the fire station, they should have considered, okay, so what, we don't need all this space, so what else could we use it for so that in the initial planning of that facility, maybe if it was, you know, they could have looked at it and designed it in a way from the very beginning that worked instead of, we've got examples of that, the, the fourth district police station where they just designed the police station and said, well, we're gonna use the extra space for something, but we don't know what. Or the, the same thing with the Metro garage in, in, um, in Glenmont. They just divided the space in half and said, well, one day we'll figure out what to do with the other part of the space. It's all about kind of knowing at the very beginning and planning for the, the construction of it. And even if you do it in phases, if you don't need it right then, you can, you can phase it, but at least your site plan, your facility plan for that particular site, I don't mean in a the formal site plan, but is, is designed to allow for that second phase. Developers do it all the time. I don't know why the county can't do it. You know, I, I, I thought about that, and I keep thinking for some reason that somebody's really in charge here. And it, <laughs> and it really is it true. You know, in, in a normal organization, somebody would say, take their chief person and say, this is an objective. I want to know what what's coming up and, and tell me how we can combine them. And don't give me a checkbox. Um, and, and it happens, you know. It, uh, the, I, day, the daycare thing, that legislation did not help having that daycare. What really helped was the council said, we want the daycare. Don't check the box, figure it out. And, and um, so it was on the initial uh, MOU, and so they had to do it. So, uh, you know, but if somebody said the same thing about co-location, this idea you had about bringing it to the council and having them check, say why it didn't work or what's coming up, that's, a, I think, a great way to get this started. You know, I, I had to say, and I, I really appreciate the examples that you're giving. I have no idea the problem with that was that big. You know, that, you know, it's all about common sense, and, and, <laughs> and it, it's terrible. So I can see now your point that, you know, we first need to go step one, you know, offer the guideline, get people to buy into this, and then go to step two. Um, that's really sad. I, th I think it's important too that we don't forget about engaging the community. That's gonna be a huge driver for this because when the community buys into something and they want it, those are the people who vote, those are the people who can you know, go to the council and, and make requests. So the community has to be behind whatever it is that you're, you're trying to achieve, because that's and the And if they see, if they the see that, they, yes. that the opportunity to get the kind of public facilities that they want is dependent on making more efficient use of mm -hmm. land, so when somebody says, hey, I'm bringing a library, their answer is, well, what else is possible here? What else could we get out of this? That would be, help to push things along. Mm -hmm. All right, well, thanks, uh, thanks very much for your work on this, and we'll look forward to the next uh, moving the ball forward. Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, update everybody uh, following the 27th of uh, January meeting, so thanks. 
All right, we'll take a little break here for a minute before the next item.
<laughs> okay, uh, Matt, are you ready? Yes, sir. Uh, can we get the uh, presentation? Uh, good morning, uh, Chairman Anderson, members of the Commission. Uh, my name is Matt Johnson, for the record, with Functional Planning and Policy. I'm bringing before you today item number five, which is Corrective Map Amendments G975 through G984. Uh, just a little background on corrective map amendments. Uh, the, this is our tool that we have for um, correcting errors on the zoning map. Uh, the only body that is uh, entitled to file for a corrective map amendment is the uh, planning board. So that's where this starts. Uh, we have uh, 10 corrective map amendments in this set. Uh, the, uh, they're the, the result of um, two errors in the district map amendment, which was adopted uh, in July by the council and became effective on October 30th. Uh, there's one right away withholding case that was never corrected, uh, so it was carried forward by the district map amendment. And there are seven corrections to the White Oak Science Gateway sectional map amendment, which became effective on October 31st. Uh, the staff recommendation for this will be we recommend that the planning board file all 10 of these corrective map amendments and recommend approval by the district council. If you have any questions at any point, just let me know. Uh, the first, we do have to go through all these because, because these are map amendments. Um, the first is G975. It's 0.4 acres. It's a very small little triangle. Um, I think you can see my mouse here. Yeah. Um, this little triangle right here. Uh, this was um, an error that was created by the district map amendment. There's a, the, to the left of this blue line, the, the, the map on the left is the uh, zoning on October 29th. The map on the right is the zoning in the district map amendment, so the zoning on October 30th. And uh, the zoning to the left of this blue line was RE2 slash TDR. And the zoning to the right of the line is just RE2. Uh, when the district map amendment was uh, enacted, the, uh, you can see the line of the TDR overlay here um, omits this little triangle triangular piece of this property. So that's that's G975. It's just redrawing that line, the TDR overlay line, so that it uh, matches what it was on October 29th. Uh, G976 was also uh, an issue created by the District Map Amendment and is also related to TDRs. Uh, what you see here circled um, is an area of, on October 29th, R200 slash TDR. Um, but for uh, whatever reason, the TDR overlay did not incorporate this area in the district map amendment. Uh, the Potomac subregion master plan from 2002 calls for a maximum density on this site, which was known as the Giancola Quarry, of eight units per acre with the purchase of TDRs. So this should have, uh, this should be R200 with a TDR 8.0 overlay. Uh, G977, a little, a little different. This is a right-of-way withholding case. Uh, it was never corrected. Um, the, uh, the issue here, in 1957, the applicant requested C1 zoning for the, p the pink area that you see on the map and also all of the area up to the, to the roads. Uh, at the time, the practice of the county was to withhold potential rights-of-way for future, for if, if there was an anticipation that the roads would be widened in the future. Uh, so uh, when the, the district council did not grant the application for, for the entire site. They only granted the application for C1 zoning uh, beyond 150 feet from the center line of both uh, Norwood Road and Layhill Road. In 1969, the Maryland Court of Appeals found right-of-way withholdings unconstitutional. Um, so we stopped doing them after that. 
1986, the District Council adopted Ordinance 10-75, which is now Section 59.2.2.4.A.3 of the ordinance, which requires that we correct any of these right-of-way withholding cases uh, so that the, the zoning is applied to the area that was withheld, the, the requested zone. Now, on October 30th, the C1 zoning ceased to exist, uh, and instead this property is now zoned, the, the section in the, to the rear here is now zoned NR.75H45. The remainder of the property is zoned RC. Uh, it's owned by the Parks Department, and the, the Old Country store here, which you can see the footprint of on, on, the map, on the map here, is actually completely within the RC portion of the site. Um, but because the commercial use has been vacant for some time, it's now no longer permitted to have commercial uses. And Parks is hoping to rent out this historic building to a commercial use, but they can only do so if we fix the zoning here. So the recommendation is to rezone the RC portion of, of the property that was withheld in 1957 to NR.75H45. The red door store is within that box, or it's the one? Uh, the red door store the is this dark gray area on the on the footprint. So how does that stay commercial? It, it's a pre-existing grandfather, or what? Uh, it's not grandfather because the commercial use um, has 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 been abandoned. So you said that the Parks Department is planning to uh, lease it. Oh, because we're exceptions. Uh, the, the Parks Department would like to lease the space out to a commercial user. And you can do but that? But it's not, because it's in the RC zone, that's not permitted. Um, but this should have been corrected in the past under the under Ordinance 1075. Uh, it just for whatever reason, in the, in the subsequent sectional map amendments that happened after 1986, this isn't the only plan area, I believe, uh, because that was never corrected, it's shown as being zoned RC, but legally it should be zoned NR at this point. So it should be legal for there to be a commercial use there, but because the zoning was never corrected, it is not. So, but the picture you're showing us doesn't show it, NR. Well, the, the, the NR is actually back here. It's this pink sort of trapezoid. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, that's the remainder of the site that was, without, with, was beyond 150 feet from the center line of Norwood Road and Layhill Road, because they anticipated potentially having very wide roads, and this would have been a 300-foot wide um, right away for both of these. So why doesn't the pink go all the way to Norwood? Because the the practice at the time was back then in the 50s no, was... No, I mean now that you're correcting it. No, this is showing the existing conditions. Sorry, oh. this map is showing the existing conditions. You don't show the correction yet. Well, we do have exhibits if you if you look okay. in the, in the right. staff report. But it's not on the... Correct. Right, got it. If, okay. if I could, uh, Carol Rubin, for the record, the, the originally when that right-of-way was designated, it was... It, historically, that store was supposed to be moved back into where the pink, the pink trapezoid is, and that's why that portion of it was rezoned for commercial use and the rest of it remained. So, I mean, I worked on this when we were doing the partnership agreements with, for the Reds trying to find a partner, and, and that created a lot of problems because they never did relocate it. And if you do look at attachment four, which shows this, I, I understand Mr. Dreyfus's question since it sounded almost like you were only taking the little gray part, which is the store, and changing the zoning for that. But you're taking that whole right of way that had never been corrected and should have been zoned in our, uh, well, now under the new end. So it is that whole corner that becomes attached to the red, the existing red box. Right. I'm showing you with my mouse here that the, the northern boundary here, this, this line would just be extended in a straight line up to the right of way, and then this, this sort of southwestern boundary would be extended in a straight line to the, to the right of way 
and all of that area in between would become NR 0.75H45. Um, so now we're going to start on the amendments. Spell it and make some money. <laughs> so now we're going to start on the amendments to the uh, White Oak Science Gateway SMA. Uh, this SMA became effective on October 31st, the day after the, the new zoning map that, that was part of the rewrite became effective. Uh, this, this area that's circled here, um, the, the, this is the, the tan area to the right is the National Labor College property. Uh, the yellow area to the left is a residential neighborhood that is to the rear. And the, this corner lot here was inadvertently zoned CRN in the sectional map amendment, but this was supposed to remain R90. So staff recommends rezoning this, correcting the zoning on this property to R90. Uh, G979, this is um, the Washington Adventist Hospital site in the uh, Life Sciences Center area uh, along Cherry Hill Road. Uh, the, the new sectional map amendment mapped this area as LSC. It remapped it from um, IM and EOF. The problem is that the LSC zone under the new ordinance requires an FAR and a height to be mapped just like in the NR zone and the EOF and GR zones. So this was, again, the White Oak Science Gateway Plan was sort of happening in tandem with the rewrite. It was not entirely clear which was going to happen first. So the old zoning did have just the LSC zone, the new zoning, which is effective when the White Oak Science Gateway Plan was mapped, was already effective. Uh, does not have just an LSC zone. So we need to map an FAR and a height on this property. The master plan recommended a maximum density of 1.0 FAR on the site. So that's what we're showing. LSC 1.0 is the recommendation here. Uh, there was no height recommendation. Uh, the LSC zone, both on October 29th and on October 30th, has a maximum height of 200 feet. Since there was no recommendation for height in the master plan, we're recommending mapping the maximum height on this site. So it would be LSC 1.0 H200. Uh, now, G980 through G984, these are all the same issue. I'm going to just give a brief overview, and then I'll go through each one individually. Uh, the RH zone, which is the residential multi-unit high-rise zone, is one of the zones that was retained in Division 59.8 of the ordinance, which is zones retained from previous ordinance. Uh, these zones can no longer be mapped to any additional property under the under the zoning ordinance, and that's uh, the, the text here is on the center of the slide, um, section 59, 8.1.1. Um, these were zones that were mapped by local map amendment that we did not remap as part of the uh, zoning code rewrite because many of them had development plans, and it was too cumbersome to review each of these as a part of the rewrite project. Uh, the intent of the district council and the planning board. Uh, when the council, when the uh, when the rewrite was going through the, the process, was to remap these through sectional map amendment as master plans were done. Because with the master planning process, we have more time to be able to go into the development plans. Unfortunately, as I mentioned before, White Oak Science Gateway, it was never clear whether it was going to happen before the rewrite or after the rewrite. Um, uh, really, until the, sort of the last minute is when it really came, became clear. And the master plan did not address the five RH properties within the sector plan boundary. Um, but the intent of the council, again, was to remap these as part of the master planning process. Uh, the RH zone has the exact same maximum density as the R10 zone, which is 43.5 units per acre. Uh, and so I'm just going to go through each of these um, briefly, but our recommendation for all of these is to remap them from RH to R10. Uh, G980 is um, a piece of RH along Columbia Pike, an old Columbia Pike, uh, just north of the, uh, the New Hampshire Avenue Cloverleaf. Uh, it was mapped in 63. 
uh, there were no conditions placed on the property as a condition of its approval um, in 1963. So there, was no, there were no limitations on density or height that were put in the, in the development plan. Um, so there shouldn't be any problem mapping it to R10. Uh, G981 uh, was mapped in 1964, and the area was expanded in 1971. In neither of those approvals were any conditions placed upon the site regarding density or height or anything else, uh, so there shouldn't be any problem mapping that to R10 either. Uh, G982, this is a little further up Columbia Pike toward Cherry Hill Road. Uh, it was mapped in 64. The land was, the, the area of zoning was expanded in 69. Again, um, no conditions were placed on the site. Uh, G983, this is uh, White Oak Towers, I believe it's called. It's right, right at the, uh, the southwestern quadrant of um, Columbia Pike and New Hampshire Avenue. Uh, it was mapped in 1963. There were no conditions placed on the site. Uh, and then the final one, G984, this is uh, behind the uh, Trader Joe's on Columbia Pike near Burnt Mills. Uh, it was mapped in 1964. There were no conditions placed on the site, so it also has the maximum of 43.5 units per acre. Uh, and that concludes the 10 corrected math amendments. I'll take any questions if the board has it. One question. Um, on the first one you did, I realize that we're just doing uh, a correction for that um, one lot, but it's just kind of funny that the RE2 runs through parts of properties versus all, and how does that happen instead of following a property line? I, I, that's not the subject, I guess, of this. No, that's beyond the scope of the research I did as well. I, I don't know when the zoning line was drawn. I, I don't know if the zoning line was drawn before or after those properties were subdivided. But when uh, this is in the, um, I think this is in the Olney plan. So if those people yeah. came in, um, they would. Is there I, I, is there a um, meets and bounds description of that line so they'd know how much they had was RE2 and how much was whatever the other thing is? Uh, this, it, um, it's all RE2. It's just that there's a, part of it is, oh, has a TDR on top of it. Oh, okay. But um, it probably, it probably has a plat as opposed to meets and bounds. Uh, the, because the, the, it's, I, I can't, I can't scroll on the, the power, I'm used to being able to click and drag the map. Um, <laughs> But the, uh, it, look, it looks like a fairly new subdivision. The TDR, the RE2 TDR would have probably been put down by the 1980 only plan. So uh, as opposed to the 2006, I think it was, only plan. I didn't do the research to figure out when the TDR was mapped in this case. It was, it was very clear from, the, from our mapping that it was supposed to be RE2 slash TDR. Uh, well, and so under the new ordinance, RE2 with a TDR overlay. So we don't have to worry about it until somebody comes in and asks us for something. Yeah, I mean the sites are the, the property's already been developed, so I, it's it's probably maybe a three or four acre site. It's I doubt would have it's already been developed with one with one unit, so I doubt that they're going to come in and ask for the the very small fraction of TDR that they could get from that small area. Okay, thanks. Any any other questions? Uh, you are, I believe, required to take public testimony on this item. I don't know if anyone signed up. Uh, we don't see anybody signed up or appearing in the auditorium to speak, so uh, unless there are other comments or questions, I would uh, ask for a motion. Uh, approval of map corrections as recommended. Approval to file. We're just asking for approval to file these because they still have to go to the county council. I thought the district council approved them already. 
Uh, no, the, the, you, you will uh, make a motion to file these, assuming you, you approve that motion. Okay. Um, there will then be a transmittal letter. These will be sent to the district council. They'll send out property, the notice to all the property owners. There'll be a public hearing at least 30 days later, and then they will vote to adopt or, or not adopt these. Okay. What, what he said. <laughs> all in favor? Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Okay, now we need, uh, I think we can do this as one motion. Oh, one motion. Uh, the motion uh, the motion that we would like is to go into uh, closed session right now uh, for what purpose Carol it's under um, state government article 10 508 which is to um, approve closed session minutes all right we close session minutes and then but also we're gonna make a, this as part of the same motion to go into closed session at the beginning of our meeting next week. For advice of council. For advice of council so we can go straight upstairs rather than to come down here and go through this whole rigmarole. So uh, if I could get a motion to go into closed session now for um, closed session minute approval and then okay. next week at the beginning of the meeting for advice of council. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. And after our closed session, uh, which will take just a few minutes, we're going to adjourn.